Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read the second parish on the book of Shemot by Eira, and we learn from Hasidut that when uh, in the Torah a place is uh, named, a uh, place has a, is given a name, the name not, not only describes the geographical location of the, of the place, but it's also a state of mind and a spiritual set of circumstances. In the context, Mitzrayim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt, serves as a paradigm, teaching us what exile really means and demonstrating that the essence of the spiritual challenge which our people have confronted throughout history. So Mitzrayim relates to the Hebrew word Mitzrayim, which means boundaries, limitations, and it's the confines of the world when people uh, feel that they're locked and they can get up out. In this case, the Jewish people were uh, slaves in the land of Egypt and they were completely um, enslaved to the labors, the hard labors of the Egyptians. So we see also that every day we pray to God when we're praying in the morning, in the afternoon and at night, we are reminded of our um, of our liberation from Egypt. It's more the first commandment of the Torah, the first of the ten, says, I am Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And so we're reminded continuously throughout our existence that we are in Mitzrayim and Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim. So we see in the in the context of this Siha that Mitzrayim relates to the boundaries, to the limitations of our material existence, of the confines and, and, and how Hashem relates to us in, in exile. So exile uh, is really a not natural state of the soul. Uh, we are in exile since the two temples were destroyed, uh, but it doesn't really mean that it's a physical exile. It's also a spiritual and a mental exile. So exile is an unnatural state. It's something that really is not normal. It's not natural because the true reality that the world was created to be a dwelling place for Hashem. So uh, the soul in this world, when it's put into a body, the soul goes into exile. The uh, first exile is when a baby is born. That soul was before in heaven, basking in the rays of glory. And once that soul is sent down to the world and is put into a body, that's uh, the soul experiences exile. So exile is something that we experience in many, many different uh, levels. So the person, the person's soul is actually concealed, is, a, is actually a part of God that becomes concealed in this world. And, um, and we see that this is what happens to humanity once they're put into this world is that the presence of Hashem, the revelation of Hashem becomes concealed. So a person can live a hundred years in this world negating the existence of Hashem. This is exile. Uh, on the other hand, Geula, uh, uh, redemption, is when the revelation of Hashem is experienced. So we see our sages teach, relate, that not one slave could escape Egypt, and similarly, any setting in which a person lives creates an inertia that resists change. So when a person is bounded 
by can be physical limitations, mental limitations and, and things, we see that a person becomes resistant to change. That's why it's so hard for people to get well, because sadly, when a person is not well, he is comfortable, he gets comfortable in not being well. And so to get to work and be able to leave that limitation is scary for a person. So the Jewish people in the times of Egypt, they didn't want to be exiled, uh, they didn't want to be redeemed because they were used to being slaves. Uh, it's more, there's a saying that says that you can take the Jew out of Egypt, but it's very hard to take the e Egypt out of the Jew. It's a famous saying that we say every time in Pesach during Passover. So to borrow, borrow an expression from our sages, a person in fetters cannot set himself free. Since every person through thought process are today shaped by the environment in which they, they live, uh, the value system in which they live, the, the, the things they get used to. And so it's very hard to, to be able to redeem yourself from, from this Mitzrayim in which we live, in, which, in this exile. So uh, yet, and although man may not be able to free himself from exile, a person needs really Hashem's help. And the first thing that, um, that will bring a person to be able to, to redeem for redemption, the first step is a direct revelation of God. So when a person doesn't have God within, within himself, awareness of God, the godliness within himself, it is very, it is very hard to be able to be redeemed. The first thing is to accept that there's God, that there's Hashem, that things happen in your life because God made them happen. And once we come to that realization and we really point to the true judge, then that's when redemption can begin. So since the fundamental characteristic of exile is a concealment of God's presence, the nullification of exile involves a clearer revelation of God. So Hashem created the world in a way in which he concealed himself. He created it through tzimtzum, through contraction. And um, he made himself so invisible that we can even come to wonder if he really exists. This is the greatest gift God gave humanity. Because in reality, we wouldn't be able to um, question the existence of Hashem. Then we would not be able to have free will. If you would see the hand of God pointing at you all the time, when you're doing something wrong, you, would, you wouldn't do it. And so he gives us free range to be able to choose between good and evil. So we see also that, that this uh, nullification of exile, which is a clearer revelation of God, of godliness, uh, this will, will come to shake people up and will be able to awaken to a spiritual awareness. So the message of Parasha Vayera, which Vayera means, and I revealed myself, this is the meaning of this word. The root of the word Vayera is Reya, which means sight. Vayera refers to something that can be seen directly. And the, the theme is continued throughout the Torah reading, which describes the seven plagues, the first seven plagues that God sent uh, to Egypt. And we see that with these plagues, Hashem, which were miraculous plagues, everything was a miracle, uh, 
the the, the revelation of, of God became uh, uh, became known. It became something that was real. And even so, that the Egyptians would point up to heaven and say, uh, it comes from him. People that were completely absorbed in idol worship and didn't believe in Hashem, uh, started to recognize that this was bigger than them. So these plagues made the whole world conscious of God, of God's presence. And even the Egyptians whose ruler had probably boasted, I do not know God. He was so arrogant, Pharaoh, that he thought he was God. They, even them, they became aware of godliness. So because the miracles were openly seen, these were open, revealed miracles, they were able to transform the thinking of the people. And when an idea is communicated intellectually, it takes time for a person to assimilate to this idea. It's not so easy to change a person's way of thinking through the intellect. But when the person sees it with his own eyes, he's, 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 he sees the open and revealed miracle, then the person, um, there, whatever he sees, it's, there's no way he cannot change. It, it really will transform him. So it is, however, natural for a person to ask, when have I seen godliness? Like we would think in this world where we are right now, at this stage, uh, every time the, the, the revelation of Hashem, sometimes it feels le more distant. But in reality, if we open our eyes and we see the Ashkaha Pratis, the divine intervention throughout our day, throughout our lives, we will be able to perceive God in our lives. So the answer, it's found in Rashi's commentary to the verse from which the Torah reading takes its name, where it says, and I reveal myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. And Rashi comments to the forefathers. This is his commentary. But Hashem doesn't say it's the forefathers. And then there's a question, why would God not mention that they were the forefathers uh, uh, of the Jewish people? So. Uh, Rashi comments because God in the Torah, there's never one more word or one less word. Uh, what you read is what's intended. Uh, it says what it means and it means what it says. And Rash Rashi comments, however, this, this way in which the Torah expresses uh, how Hashem revealed to our forefathers, not saying it was the forefathers, it's because he's emphasizing that their revelations were granted to them, not because of their individual virtues, but because they were the forefathers. And their spiritual attainments would be transferred as an inheritance to the descendants. So it's because they were the forefathers that God revealed to them. And because of this, we have their DNA. A Jew by nature is kind. It's, um, it's, um, it's a merciful if you find a Jew in your life that is not kind and merciful, then you can even doubt if he's uh, a Jew. You know, uh, because we have this in our DNA. This is a, a, an inheritance from Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. This comes from them. It's in our DNA. It's part of our essence. So by revealing himself to our forefathers, God made the awareness of his existence a fundamental element in the makeup of their descendants for, for life, for all time. Uh, it's, it, we have it, the Alter Rebbe, which today is his, uh, his year side, the anniversary of his passing. He teaches in his Tanya 
that the, the Jew has an inherent love for God, which is located in the right side of the heart. And uh, it's there. It's just that sometimes we don't feel it. And we think we have to go and look for love. But in reality, what we have to do is, is just tap into that love and just reveal it, bring it out. So nevertheless, although the legacy of our forefathers is within our hearts, it is not always in our conscious thoughts. And each of us must endeavor to internalize the faith of our forefathers. We have to know that we have this inheritance. Uh, many people don't know that they have this inheritance. It's sad. It's like if uh, you live in a house where the previous owner that passed away and had no kids had left uh, $10 billion in the roof, in the attic, and you lived 100 years in this house and you never knew you had all that money. And, and, and this is the same with us. We have such an inheritance from our forefathers and, and we don't tap into what we have. And, and a Jew can go through life without even knowing what he has. He's clueless. So, so this, uh, this, this, uh, this ignorant love that we have in our hearts uh, towards Hashem, uh, it's something that has to be unearthed. It has to be unearthed. And how do we unearth it? By contemplating the greatness of God. When we contemplate the greatness of God and we count our blessings and we see the miracles in our lives, in our personal lives, it doesn't have to be open and revealed. It can be like a hot coffee in the morning or a hot shower that you have these things in your life. Then you see it's not something that it's a given. It's really a miracle from God that he gave it to you. So the more you contemplate in the greatness of Hashem, the more you contemplate in all the blessings you have around you, the more you're going to feel that love that is really inherent in you. So unless we make efforts to unite faith and thought, we can create a, a dichotomy between belief and actual life. And indeed, evidence of such a dichotomy is all too common. So many people live a life in which everything is in a different drawer, you know? And in, in truth, eh, for a person, his work has to be as important in Avodah Hashem, in serving God, taking care of his family, because everything we do in our life is really an opportunity to serve God. So we have to take this business of serving Hashem seriously. If you're in the business of serving God, and for you this is something important, and it is major in your life, it is as important for you to make money, to be able to give tzedakah, as it is to treat your wife, or the wife treat the husband with utmost respect and love. And so, the need to resolve this, uh, this, this, um, this dichotomy explains why the previous Torah reading, Parashat Shemot, concludes by describing how Moshe Rabbeinu approached God and asked this famous question, Oh God, why do you mistreat my people? Why, your people? Why do you mistreat your people? This is a thousand dollar question that uh, it's, uh, it's like, why do you make the, the good people suffer, Hashem? Why do you do this? Why do you create all this suffering in the world? So Moshe's questions did not reflect a lack of faith. He wasn't asking this question because he did not believe in God. He had already spoken with God from the burning bush. He could hear him, he, 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 he heard him. Uh, so it was not a lack of faith, like, do I believe or I don't believe? This is not why he asked this question. Because in truth, Jews are believers, the children of believers. 
We, we have it within us. A, a Jew can say he doesn't believe in God and it's not true because he comes from a believer. So Moshe realized that this responsibility was to be a shepherd of, it, of faith, to nurture the people's faith until it affected their thinking process. This is why he asked, because he realized that his job was a very big job. Hashem had appointed him to bring these Jews, these slaves that for 210 years had been laboring in very hard conditions to, to, to life again. He had to nurture them back and to be able to bring them back to believe. So in response to Moshe's question, God brought about the miracles described in the Torah, in, the, in our Torah reading, Moshe's endeavors to make faith a factor in everyday life evoked a response from God. So this is why God sent these, 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 um, these plagues to Egypt. He sent them for two reasons. One was for the Egyptians to recognize God, to bring a revelation of God into this world, because uh, redemption cannot happen if there's not a, a revelation of God in the world. This is the first step to redemption. When people start acknowledging God, you know, when people say, thank you, God, thank God, Baruch Hashem, is God willing, and God is in people's mouth, you know, I take it very seriously. Everywhere I go, I ask people, how are you doing? The, the cashier in the supermarket, the... the the security guard in my building, any breath, you go to a doctor's appointment, hello, good morning, how are you doing? And usually the response is, thank, thank you, I'm okay, how are you? And so at that moment, I take the opportunity, I say, thank God, I'm okay, I'm great. You know, because every time you mention God's name, thanking him, not in vain, but thanking him, God willing, thank you, God, it's a way to reveal God it's a way to bring God into, into existence. It's to make him real for people. And the problem is that people think that God is, is a very big thing, that it's up there somewhere, and he's very busy, and he has no time for us. And at the end of the day, this is, there's nothing more farther from the truth than that. Hashem is everywhere. It's the question, where, where is God? God is wherever you let him in, but God is even where you don't let him in. He's everywhere. So Hashem is everything and he's everywhere so the more you reveal this aspect of god the closer we're gonna be to being redeemed to being uh, to bring the redemption to the world so these um these these uh plagues they came into being for that it's so the egyptians could recognize god so they could say no you know pharaoh he was so arrogant he would say, I don't know who God is. I don't know about God. I have no idea. He thought he was God. But the Egyptians, every time a plague came into Egypt, they would look and they would point their finger up. They would say, it comes from God. So this is, this is the, the, the prerequisite for redemption. And the Jewish people, these, these, these miracles that came into Egypt were really for, for them to feel that God loved them and God was taking care of them because they had to come back to life. They had to be nurtured back. They had lost their trust. They had lost uh, the, the relationship. So he had to bring them back. And how did he do it? He did it by transcending the natural order of the world and bringing these huge miracles. So today in our times, we, there's many miracles that happen constantly 
but they they they're part of the natural order they're part of nature you turn on your shower hot water comes out you put the water to boil the water boils you light a, 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 a candle it lights up but actually all this happens because Hashem wills it to happen it's miraculous but sometimes God sends this open and revealed good that really eh, take us out of the natural order where things happen that don't make any sense. For example, the miracles of the Gulf War in Israel, when you, when you go into history and you read about it, how not one person died because of a missile strike or the end of communism or the massive waves of Jews coming to, to Israel and doing Aliyah. All these things are really the, 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 the revelation of God and this is the prophecies are being lived in our days. The prophecies from the prophets that they gave us all these promises. So as in the days of your exodus, say the prophets promised, I will show you wonders. And just as the miracles which God wrought in Egypt heralded the exodus, so too may the miracles we have witnessed and will witness in the future foreshadow the ultimate redemption. And it, should it be soon? Should it be in our days? We're ready for Mashiach. We're ready to, to overturn the world. We're ready for the world to recognize who's the boss here and, um, and to be grateful for all the kindness Hashem gives us. So I want to wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you. Thank you.